Uh, as Graham said earlier, we are starting a new series in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can also flip open to 1 Timothy. We'll be covering chapter 1 section um, from verse 1 to 11. So just if you want to get that ready. So the game we're going to be playing, my sermon is titled True or False. And so I really wanted to start out naturally, with a game called True or False. If you guys haven't played that game, it's something that maybe uh, you might have played at like camp or something, and you're like, or with your youth group, and you're just like, you want to find out if your crush likes you, you're like, true or false? You're like, your crush is in this room. (laughs) So it's kind of one of those games where you play, and then someone has to either tell you, yes, it's true, or no, it's false. So we're going to be playing the Bible edition of True or False. So if you have your phones, I'm going to be reading a phrase out loud, and in the comments you can type if you think true it's in the Bible, or false it isn't in the Bible, okay? So everybody get their phones, everybody get ready, and I will be able to see your comments on here. Breaker showed me a nice handy way that I can like click on it and show it on the screen, so we'll see if I can be coordinated enough to do that while I'm preaching. Uh, So the first one is, I wish those people who are bothering you would add castration to their circumcision. And so now you need to decide if you think that I'm twisted enough to make that up, or if that's in the Bible. Can you repeat that? Yes, I can repeat that. I wish those people who are bothering you would add castration to their circumcision. (laughs) If it's in the Bible, write true. If it is, you don't think it's in the Bible, write false. So we'll see. I don't know. Nobody seems to be typing. Come on, guys. Oh. (laughs) Someone says there's a delay. True. Paul said it. Okay. Um, I'll just, oh, true. There's a lot of trues. Whoa. Okay, wait. I can't click on them. Riker, I broke it. Oh, wait. No, it works. Send. There we go. I did it. Okay. Uh, It is true. Good job. Um, It is in the easy-to-read version. I tried to make it sound more like modern day. So it's in Galatians 5.12 if you want to look it up. Grandview says false. Dan Solstrom says false. Um, Okay, the next one is, you poured me out like milk. You spun me around and squeezed me like someone making cheese. Is it in the Bible? If you think it was in the Bible, write true. If you don't think it was in the Bible, write false. I like how Caleb says fruce. Some combination of the two. <laughs> um, yeah, so what do you think? Do you think it's true in the Bible or false not in the Bible? It's, you poured me out like milk, you spun me around and squeezed me like someone making cheese. Is it in the Bible? We have some false, cheesy, Tanisha says cheesy. False, 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 false. Hmm. Okay, it's actually true. Uh, Easy to read version, and it's in Job chapter 10, verse 10. So you can look it up. It's going to look different if it's in a different version. But if you look it up in the easy to read version, that's what it says. And I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, uh, another one. God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? If it's in the Bible, write true in the comments. If you don't think it's in the Bible, write false. Tanisha says false. I'm going to put it in there. Yeah, so God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. True or false? So it's actually not in the Bible. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Josh just threw his phone on the ground. <laughs> it isn't in the Bible. Uh, God often will help people who can't help themselves. For example, widows and orphans. Okay, next one. He fled naked, leaving his clothes behind. If it's true, if you think it's in the Bible, write true. If you don't think it's in the Bible, write false. He fled naked, leaving his clothes behind. Tammy says, oh, I don't know if this is for the other one, but she says false. True. Somebody says true here. Oh, from, from YouTube, from YouTube land. Oh, I can see on the side where you're commenting from. Oh, that's so cool. Technology. Ter Carol says true. Okay. It is true, actually. Uh, it's found in Mark 14, 52. Okay, last one. The lion will lie down with the lamb. True or false? True if it's in the Bible, false if it isn't in the Bible. The lion will lay down with the lamb. No Googling, by the way. I should have said that at the beginning. No Googling it. <laughs> I think Paige was Googling it, guys. Come on. True or false? The lion will lie down with the lamb. Is it in the Bible? We have some trues on here. True, unless that was for the last question. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say it's false. And actually, this one had me shook. Right, Paige? Is that slang? Yeah, okay. They were teaching me new slang today, and I don't know if that was actually new, new slang, but I tried. Um, so it actually isn't in the Bible, and I've heard this one so many times, and I was like, it has to be in the Bible. Like, I was literally searching for at least 20 minutes trying to find where it says that in the Bible, and it just doesn't. And <laughs> so there was actually a verse where I think that it originated from in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. But it is interesting because if you ask any Christian or anyone who's believed in God for an extended period of time, who lies down with the lamb, everyone will say lion, not wolf. So I don't know where that came from, but it does say the wolf will dwell with the lamb. So anyways, that's just interesting. So thank you guys all for playing. That was fun. Uh, and if you ever want to play true or false, now you know how. You just kind of like come up with things and you ask people if they're true or false. It's supposed to be fun. So um, thank you all for playing. I'm going to read you guys the section of 1 Timothy I'm going to be covering today. The reason I kind of did that game is because we're going to be talking about things that are true and things that are false. And there actually is a difference. Sometimes in our culture, the, the line between those two things gets a bit muddy. Um, but we are going to be talking about that. So I'll read through my section in 1 Timothy and give you guys a bit of a background on it. Uh, 1 Timothy is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it shortly after his first Roman imprisonment. He was released, and then he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. It was written to a young pastor who was named Timothy, and this guy named Timothy was Paul's representative to the church in Ephesus. So Paul's writing this letter to Timothy not just for him, but actually for him to read out loud to the Ephesian church. So he was going to read it out loud to them so that they would know that he had been given authority by Paul to make some changes. And Paul also really wanted to confront some of these issues that he was seeing that were um, coming up in the Christian church in Ephesus at the time. So we're going to go through the verse or verses in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. I'm just going to read through it, and then you guys can follow along, and we'll get going. 
Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So before I get started, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that everything in here is from you, God, and that you desire to speak to your church today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just help each of us to take something from this and be able to um, hear from your Holy Spirit today, that you would minimize me and that you would just magnify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So basically what is going on here in this section of 1 Timothy is that the Christians in the church of Ephesus were teaching and believing things that were not correct biblical beliefs. They were straying from the things that Paul had showed them and taught them, and they were kind of going off in a direction that wasn't good. Uh, Paul was encouraging the church to start teaching and following correct biblical beliefs and to actually live godly lives on top of it. So not just to teach the right things, but also to live the right way. And not just because they were uh, the body of Christ, but because they were actually the ones that were doing such bad things were actually the leaders and elders as well. And so the Ephesian church had started to reject this truth. They were teaching things that weren't without having the correct information behind it and understanding of what they were supposed to be teaching. Uh, they, and because of this, they started to bicker and fight over what were they supposed to be teaching. This person disagreed with this person. And they were kind of arguing back and forth over these pointless issues, and they were misusing the law that God gave. And as I was kind of reading this, I started to think about our culture that we live in today. Because I think that sometimes we think, well, Ephesus, like this church was a super long time ago, how can we actually gain any understanding or wisdom from it? But really, it isn't too different from what we experience today in our culture. We live in a world where if you've been kind of around it long enough, you kind of hear almost the same narrative of like, what I believe is true is true for me, but it's not, doesn't have to be true for you. And we kind of believe that we can just believe what we want, do what we want, and whatever you do, do not disagree with someone else's truth. Like, that's kind of like the line. Um, and if someone else believes it's true, you aren't allowed to even really, like, confront that or say anything about it, right? And so some of us might be thinking, well, that's other people. Like, that's not the Christian church. That's just, like, some other people out in the community. But actually, this is something that is also an issue within the church. And there are a lot of things that Christians believe that aren't necessarily true, um, whether it's just something that we were taught or something that we picked up. And sometimes we actually even have a hard time being confronted on some of the things that we believe are true that aren't actually true. 
So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about false beliefs that we might have. We're talking about what is truth and how can we come against things that aren't necessarily true in our own lives. So that being said, what were some of the false teachings that the church of Ephesus were believing at the time? And how can we as the modern church take some of the things from what Paul was saying to them and actually apply them to us today? So the first thing that I think that Paul was really trying to address with the Ephesian church is found in verse uh, 4 as well as verse 8 and 9. So I'm just going to quickly read over those. Verse 4 in that section of 1 Timothy says, Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And then verses 8 to 9 says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels. So the first a uh, false belief that I believe Paul was trying to point out was legalism. Um, if you guys don't know what that is, I'll go over it in a minute, but the endless genealogies in that verse 4 could be referring to a group of people that were kind of like present in that day, and they were, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I actually wrote it down phonetically, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> they were called Judaizers, Judaizers. And basically what they were is they were Jewish people who had become Christians, but they had brought some of the, the law with them, they had brought the law of Moses with them into their Christian faith and actually enforced it on new Christians or Christians in general. So things they would do things like they would be like, you have to get circumcised if you want to become a Christian. And it became a lot about rule following and you had to become a certain way to be acceptable to them. Their beliefs became very legalistic. And so legalism is basically when we start to believe that our own actions and our own, uh, the things that we do can actually help to earn our salvation. We can get there on our own. We might not say that, but with our actions, we start to actually show that we believe that. And then we start to judge others around us for not measuring up to the standard that we set. Sometimes we even make our own rules that aren't found in the Bible. They're not anywhere in Scripture, and we try to push them on other people as well. Paul is not saying that the law is bad. He's not like, completely disregard the law, that's not even a thing anymore. But he did say that the, the Christians of the day were misusing the law. It was being misused. The purpose of the law was to actually show us what we could not be right? Uh, if you look at the law, it's impossible to get to that standard. It's not even physically, humanly possible. And so when we look at that and we say, this is God's standard, and we are like, wow, I can't actually do that, then we recognize our need for grace. We recognize our need for a savior in our own lives, and not just in our own lives, but in other people's lives around us. Because I think the temptation is, once we become a Christian, once we accept Jesus, we start to think, well, I'm good, I've done enough, like, I'm saved. And then you just kind of forget where you came from. You forget where God has brought you from and what he's saved you from. And then you start to look at people around you who don't know Jesus yet, and we become legalistic because we're like, well, why can't they get their stuff together? Why can't they be where I'm at? Right? So we ask ourselves these questions, but we forget about grace. We forget that we needed that same grace that we could never measure up to the law, the standard that God has without him. And so they had become legalistic, and they had forgotten the purpose of the law. They started to misuse it. Galatians 2, uh, chap or sorry, chapter 2, verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
It was so that we would see our need for a savior, so that we would actually turn to Jesus, and then we would stop holding our own standards over other people's heads and forgetting about grace. So we, we shouldn't be legalistic. We can't do that when we recognize that obedience to God's word isn't a list of rules because we're, we feel obligated to do it, but because we love him. John uh, 14, verse 15 says it best. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. So it's this balance of grace and truth. It's not like one or the other. We don't go around bashing people over the head with truth. We have this understanding of, yes, we know the truth. We know what's right. But we also have grace and love for the people who don't understand that yet. And so this means knowing God's commands and being obedient because we love him, but also repenting and having grace for our shortcomings and other people's shortcomings as well. So this leads to the second false teaching that I believe Paul addresses to the church. Uh, and that's found in, if you go into 1 Timothy again, uh, it's found in verse 4 and verse 6 and 7. It says, Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. Excuse me. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So the people were called out by Paul for meaningless talk and uh, controversial speculation, wanting to teach without proper understanding of the gospel, and also focusing on these myths that weren't accurate and kind of like talking and debating back and forth with uh, each other about these things. They were speculating about these myths, and because of their doctrine, because of this, their doctrine or their belief system was getting distorted. It was getting messed up because they were like, well, this is true, and this is true, and they were arguing among themselves about these things. They were focusing on things that were meaningless and distracting. There was a lot of fighting between the leaders and teachers of the Christian church at that time because they were arguing over these controversial things. And it was causing those who were following them, those in the church, to be led astray. Because they were like, well, I'm siding with this guy. I'm siding with this guy. And there was a lot of division that was happening. Just as a side note, um, a little thing about Ephesus is it was a very difficult place to be a pastor as well as a Christian. It was just a difficult uh, place to be in general if you followed Jesus. But this explains why at the beginning of this section, Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Like, if he didn't, if Timothy wasn't having a difficult time staying there, chances are Paul wouldn't have had to urge him and be like, stay in Ephesus. Like, you need to stay there. You need to keep on coming up against those false teachings. And so there were false teachings in the church, but culturally it was also a very difficult place to live. Um, The culture of Ephesus was Greek, and they believed in following a lot of different gods. Pretty much um, whatever god served your needs, that, that's the one you would go, wherever temple you would go to. So there was like the god of fertility. Uh, you're trying to get pregnant, you go worship that god. Um, there's like the god of, of healing, and you just go there if you're sick. And, and there's like uh, the god of wealth, that you need money. So you're like, I'm going to go worship this god. And so there was a lot of false teaching, not just in the church, but also in the city of Ephesus. And so I was thinking about this a little bit, and I started to think, well, this might have been what Paul was talking about, those myths that he was talking about. Because you have to think, like, this is where the Christian church was located. It was in the city where all these people were worshiping different gods before they came to Christ, right? Especially if you were a Gentile living here. Gentiles were people who were not Jewish by birth. 
So they came into the faith after living in this culture where it would have been normal for them to be raised worshiping all these different gods in all these different temples. So they kind of had that background and it would be easy to see how they could bring that with them into their new faith without realizing that they were bringing myths into their faith, like these things that aren't actually true. And so they're bringing all these things in and Paul is saying, no, like those are myths. Those aren't accurate. That's not actually true. So some of these teachers and leaders were raised in this culture, and they could have easily gotten distracted by the beliefs that Paul had tried to teach to them and brought these things in. Um, But we know that God is jealous. He doesn't want our worship to be split. He actually wants our whole hearts. Um, The only thing that (laughs) he—it sounds silly to say the only thing, but the thing that God wants from us is everything, our whole self right? He doesn't want money. He doesn't want, like, all these different things. He wants us to give us, like, a living sacrifice to him. And so in 1 Corinthians 7.35, it says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. God doesn't want our worship split. He doesn't want half our heart. He doesn't want us to be worshiping this God on the weekend or talking about this or focused on this or distracted by this. He wants everything. And so the church at that time was, was focusing on all these speculations and these things that didn't matter, was very distracted and divided. And God is asking for their undivided devotion. He wanted the church to be following them with him with undivided devotion. So that's what's best for us. And it's actually the most important thing that we can do as Christians so that we don't get distracted from the mission is to follow God with undivided devotion. It's impossible to fulfill God's command to the church when we're too busy fighting with other believers, when we're too busy being distracted by other things. When our opinions and arguments or our false beliefs are causing division, it's not fulfilling what God's purpose is for the church. So what were the early Christians missing? What was God's command to the church? Uh, He didn't want legalism. He didn't want distraction or lies being taught. Uh, And we see the answer in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5 says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So this verse is telling us the goal of the Christian faith, or at least the goal or the motive behind the goal. So the motive behind the goal should always be love. And I kind of paraphrased the verse in, in uh, 1 Timothy, and I kind of made it make a little bit more sense um, to today. The mission of the Christian life is doing everything with sacrificial, selfless, sincere love that comes from a pure heart, a listen, and listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and having a sincere faith in Jesus. Some of us might actually think that sounds impossible, and I think it actually is, because we can't do it on our own strength. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That verse says love ultimately comes from God. So we can't actually love people the way that God wants us to love people without his help. It's actually impossible um, because he's the one who gives us love. And so he's asking us to love one another, but he doesn't just ask us to do it like some impossible thing. He actually provides the way for us to do that as well. He gives us love so that we can actually give love to others. When we allow God to change and soften our hearts, these, these things will start to just naturally flow out of us. So the false teachings in the church of Ephesus 
uh, they were, had to be opposed. They couldn't be, it's not like you could just let those things run rampant because the motivation behind them was pointless and it was actually destructive to the church. The beliefs that they had were not motivated by love. God's work should only be motivated by love. Not by winning arguments, not by being right, not by um, being the best at something, but by loving people and letting God change their hearts and ours. I'm going to read you guys one of the most well-known, I think, well-known sections of scripture. You often will hear it read at weddings. It's like the First Corinthians verses about love. But I think that we sometimes glaze over those because we hear them so often. And I think that they can not just be used like to talk about committing to somebody for your life, but also as kind of an idea or a gauge to see if something is false doctrine or false beliefs or not. So I'm just going to read through it because we need to know what love is if we're going to use that to gauge it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to start with verse 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I will boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So these first three verses, I actually believe speak directly to legalism, that first false belief that I talked about. Um, And the reason why I say this is because even if we speak tongues, even if we speak prophetically, even if we have all this understanding and knowledge and faith and we give to the poor and we, we go through hard times and all these different things, it means absolutely nothing outside of love. It says that right there. It means nothing without love. If all we have is outward action, if all we have is just what people see, then we have nothing. We're doing nothing and we're becoming legalistic. If we're just going through the motions, but the motivation is not love, it's empty. So I'm going to just read, continue reading in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast, it isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or easily angered, or easily angered. It always protects, oh sorry, it, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. This part, I think, not only defines what love is, it actually also speaks to the distraction belief, that second false belief that I was talking about. If we realize that we only have so much time here, if we think about it as, okay, you know what, I have a mission, God has given me a purpose here on earth, I'm actually supposed to reach people, I'm actually supposed to partner with the Holy Spirit and go out and make disciples, we don't get distracted by meaningless things, right? We don't become boastful or act proud, we don't keep records of wrongs or basically like uh, hold on to grudges. We don't get easily angered at people and delight in evil things and have all these arguments. We don't waste time on, like going back to our First Timothy verse, meaningless speculation, myths, and bickering among the body of Christ. Our hearts have been purified by Christ, and he's actually directing our steps. So he's showing us where to go, and we're paying attention to that because we have a relationship with him and because we love him. 
So we recognize, wait, I actually own, I don't even know how long I have here on earth, but even if I live my full life expectancy, it's such a short time, and I don't have time to waste with all these things. I don't have time to waste with all these arguments because there are still people who need to know Jesus. I don't want to get distracted by that. I need to focus on loving people. This is what love is, and if my actions do not line up with this, or if what I'm saying doesn't line up with this, then it's a waste of my time. So out of this, we can then go forward with the Great Commission, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples out of all nations, because the motivation behind it will be love. We'll be only motivated by love. But we do have free will, right? We're allowed to get distracted. We're allowed to focus on, you know, the rules and the outward appearance, becoming legalistic. But there is a verse that speaks very directly about this, and that's why I say it's actually impossible to fulfill God's mission without love. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will they know that we are God's disciples? How will they know that we follow Jesus if we love each other? So the Ephesian church was not showing how they loved each other. They were not loving each other properly. And so going out in the streets and, and all the people who didn't know Jesus yet are seeing them arguing and fighting about things that didn't actually matter. And how would they know that these people followed Jesus? How would they know that these people were different? The answer is that they didn't, or they wouldn't. And so for us in the church today, if we're finding that we are constantly at odds with other Christians, that we're constantly debating these things and fighting about these things, and not showing other believers love, we can't expect that people from outside of the church will actually see that we love each other and therefore know that we follow him. I don't know if you guys have been on social media this year. Um, I've had to actually take some breaks from it because it's gotten pretty heated out there. Um, <laughs> I've seen more Facebook wars and battles happen in the past year than ever before on social media. People are on edge. The world is crazy. Um, there is a lot of extreme hatred and division. Um, but the thing that makes me the most sad is when I see Christians getting involved in that. Because sometimes I'll see people arguing in the comment section of something and I'm like, I know that person is a Christian. I know that they love Jesus. Um, and I'm seeing that as a Christian, and it hurts my heart. And so I imagine other people who don't know Jesus that might know that person is a Christian would probably think, well, that's interesting. I've been a Christian who didn't act like it before, um, and so I know how much people will actually call you on things. Like, they want you to act like you say you should act. And so people will call you on stuff when you're doing things like that on social media. Or if they don't know you're a Christian, they might be like, ne you might never get the opportunity to share that with them, to share what you believe. The message that might be going out to those who don't know Jesus yet is that, wow, those Christians can't even get along with each other. And they must really hate each other. <laughs> Which is the opposite of what I believe God wants us to act like. So the cool thing about the letter in 1 Timothy is that the same principles still apply to the church today. Truth and unity in the church doesn't come from social media debates. It doesn't come from politics or the news or social media. It doesn't come from any of those places. It only comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's where truth comes from. 
there are a lot of lies out there and you really don't have to dig very deep to find them. It's one of those things where it's like a pretty quick Google search and you will find it. But if the voices that you're listening to are not God, you're going to start to believe those things without even realizing that these things you're accepting as truth aren't from God. These things that you have accepted as part of like, this is what I believe, they didn't come from God, even though that's who you follow. Without even realizing it, you're accepting these things. We all do this. And we can get distracted by things that don't matter and start speculating and arguing about things with other Christians that don't actually have anything to do with salvation or helping others see who he is. This allows more disunity and lies to grow, and we don't even really sometimes ask God what he thinks about it. Meanwhile, the unsaved world is watching, not just on social media, but out in the community. And I'm sure we've all been guilty of this. This isn't like to condemn anyone, where you're just like, wow, that really isn't how I should be acting. And someone calls you on it, and then you're just like, whoa, like God, I'm so sorry. So I'm not trying to like be harsh or anything, but this is what this is talking about. It's talking about how are we acting? How are we showing ourselves to people who don't know Jesus? How are we loving other Christians? Why would people want to know what we believe in the church or be a part of it when they see, other, see believers treating other people that way? We become distracted and argumentative when we become hung out on outward appearances and man-made rules. The mission will go unfulfilled, and false teachings will cause confusion and division. So what can we do? There are actually things we can do. There's a few things that I think can help us to navigate through this um, and put some of this stuff into practice in our own lives. Number one is obvious. We say it all the time. Know your Bible. <laughs> um, if you know your Bible, read your Bible, ask questions, spend time with Jesus. If his voice is the one that you're listening to the most, then it's going to be really difficult for false beliefs to enter into your brain. It's going to be really difficult for you to start to become legalistic or distracted when, you're, when the loudest voice in your life is his. Number two is taking time to listen to others. And I think this one is really challenging. Because sometimes I think we think that it's our job to go around telling people what to believe, correcting them when they're wrong, basically combating everything that we think is false. And that's not the purpose of this message. Especially not with people who don't know Jesus yet. But there is a humility that you need to have as a Christian in order to listen to others and not try to prove them wrong all the time. We don't have to agree on everything. That's not what I'm saying. But there are certain things that we can just talk about. We could just listen to somebody else's opinion on something. There are absolutely truths that we need to just be holding firm to, but disagreeing on a topic does not have to equal disunity and hatred. Most things don't actually need to be debated. Most things don't need to be argued about. And if we have the humility to listen to other people, not just in the church, but outside of the church, then we'll be starting to treat people with respect and love. We need to remember that God's heart is for people. He loves people. And if our motivation isn't loving people, then our arguments are going to do absolutely nothing. Jesus didn't, I love this quote, Jesus didn't call the disciples to be winners of arguments, he called them to be fishers of men. And every single person, whether they are a believer or not, is loved by God. So if our motivation isn't loving them, then we're missing the whole purpose of why we're here. 
It's actually okay to disagree with people and not hate them. It's okay to be different, but it's not okay to allow division to grow and to be like, well, all of a sudden now I can't talk to that person. I hate them because we disagree. Number three, if we don't have a relationship with another Christian and we try to bring correction, they probably won't care what we have to say. If we have prayed with someone and we've built a relationship with that person and we've listened to them with humility, and then because we love them, we say, hey, um, I've noticed there's something that you're doing that's actually like super harmful to you. And I just wanted to bring this to your attention. There's a way higher chance that they're gonna see, wow, you actually really love me. Your motivation behind this is that you love me and you want what's best for me. And so they're gonna take that correction way more easily than if it's like, oh my goodness, so-and-so from a different country just said this thing that I don't agree with. (laughs) No. Nobody is going to have a heart change from that because they don't have the connection first. Paul and Timothy, this goes back to our story, because Paul and Timothy, they had a relationship with the believers in the church of Ephesus. They understood where they were coming from. They had walked with them for all these years, and they were like, this isn't okay. We love you guys. We need to stop doing this. We need to start teaching true, correct biblical doctrine. It was a command. We are teaching true, correct biblical doctrine. But they didn't attempt to go into the streets of Ephesus and confront all the false teaching that was there. They weren't like, turn or burn with their signs outside in Ephesus. They were like, we're going to talk to the ones that are in the church that should know better and that we have a relationship with. And they confronted them on it. Number four, as believers, we need to be cautious that we don't become hung up on outward appearances and neglect the state of our hearts. Holding ourselves to standards that don't include God's grace, or holding other people to standards that don't include God's grace. That we don't get distracted by meaningless things, and that if we don't feel loving towards other people, we actually ask God to help us change that. We can ask God, we can say, purify my heart, God. I know that this emotion, this like feeling of hatred or anger towards this person because I disagree is not from you. And we can ask God to transform our hearts and give us love and a sincere faith for those people. And only then will we actually be able to come against those false teachings that are within the church sometimes and live in the spirit of grace and truth. So I wanted to close today um, by reading something called the Apostles' Creed. It's a series of truths that define our absolute beliefs as a church. Uh, Earlier I said we don't have to agree on everything because we're different, but there are truths that are absolute and are crucial to our faith. This just kind of scratches the surface of what that is, which is why you still need to really know your Bible. Don't just um, be like, well, I I know the Apostles' Creed, so (laughs) I know all the truth, because there is more to it. But I'm going to read it out to you just before we close in prayer and then worship. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for speaking today to your church. I just, um, 
I ask, God, that you bring conviction where conviction needs to be brought, God, and I ask that you give us grace for those around us who are struggling with some of these things, Lord, that you help us to have the relationship to bring correction. And God, I pray that you just unify the church, that you prevent division, and that I ask that you just help us to each be able to speak only your truth and that we would be motivated only by your love. I ask these things in Jesus' name.